Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. We are continuing to work our way through the Gospel of John in the New Testament part of our BAC reading plan. And we're now at the point in the in the Gospel of John where the story starts to slow down chronologically. Remember the first 12 chapters mention three different Passovers, which means three different years pass. And then the rest of the book covers just a, a few days leading up to and then after Jesus' death. So that's where we are in the story. We're at the point where it starts to slow down. And this week we are reading John chapters 14 through 18. And just to give us first a, a quick overview, a quick snapshot of what's going on here. Last week we talked about John chapter 13. And remember that took place in what's known as the upper room. And that's where Jesus and his disciples eat the Last Supper. And Jesus, remember, he gives his disciples some instruction. He first gives them an example of what sacrificial love looks like by washing their feet. And then he also gives them a new command. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Well, in John chapter 14, Jesus continues his teaching. He's still in the upper room at this point. So this section of John is sometimes called the upper room discourse. You might hear that term used sometimes, the upper room discourse. That's what this is referring to. And then John chapters 15 and 16, Jesus continues his teaching, his instruction to his disciples, but they're not in the upper room anymore technically because at the end of chapter 14, Jesus says, come now, let us leave. So they leave the upper room at the end of chapter 14, but then in chapters 15 and 16, Jesus continues teaching. And then John chapter 17, Jesus has a a really intimate prayer to the Father. And you're going to see that he prays for his disciples. He prays for all believers, really. And then in John chapter 18, Jesus is arrested and put on trial. So that's just a quick snapshot of what's going on in these chapters this week. But I want to look at chapters 14 through 16 a little bit more. Now, the end of chapter 13 is tough for the disciples. If you think about it, Jesus tells them that one of them is going to betray him. He says Peter's going to deny him. And Jesus is also going to leave them. So Jesus really leaves the disciples shell-shocked here. This is a lot to drop on them at once. So then in chapters 14 through 16, you're, you're going to see that Jesus is comforting his disciples and he's, he's really preparing them for his absence, for when he leaves. So in chapter 14, he starts with, do not let your hearts be troubled. So he just dropped this terrible news on them and he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may know where I am. He's telling his disciples that even though you can't follow me where I'm going right now, you have to trust me. You have to trust me that this is best. I'm going to prepare a place 
for you. Do you know what he's really doing here? He's giving his disciples an eternal perspective. If you think about it, where does our hope come from as Christians? It comes from knowing that no matter what we face in this life, one day all things are going to be made right and we're going to spend eternity in God's presence. I like to say eternal thinking fuels everyday living. Eternal thinking fuels everyday living. And that's why Jesus starts his instruction here in this chapter with this. Because when we think about eternity, it gives us strength for today, for the present. But here's the problem. We, we, get, so, we get so wrapped up in day-to-day living. And I do this too. We tend to focus on what's, what's tangible, what's right around us. We get caught up in that day-to-day grind of, of work and just busyness and to-do lists. But I want to challenge you to spend some time thinking about eternity. You know, C.S. Lewis, you may have heard me say this quote before, but C.S. Lewis wrote that the Christians who do the most in this life are the ones who think the most about the next. The Christians who do the most in this life are the ones who think the most about the next. Or on the flip side, when we no longer think about eternity, we fail to become effective in this life. Eternal thinking fuels everyday living. So again, I challenge you, spend some time thinking about eternity. And here's a practical exercise, so to speak, that you can do. I challenge you to to read and, and meditate on Revelation chapters 21 and 22 this week. Maybe even try starting each day this week reading those two chapters. They're not that long. It doesn't take very long to read them. Maybe try reading them each day this week, each morning when you wake up. Read those two chapters and see what effect it has on you. Because how often do we live as if we don't know the end of the story? But the great hope that we have as Christians is that the end of the story has already been written. So we have to remind ourselves of that. Go read those chapters and find hope in eternity. So Jesus first comforts his disciples by helping them have an eternal perspective. Then look what he says in verse 15 here. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. That's that's a pretty daunting statement, isn't it? Keep my commands. Because we know that none of us can do that perfectly. But then look how Jesus follows this up. He talks about the Holy Spirit. He says then in verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. Jesus says, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm sending you a helper, an advocate. Now the Greek word here is parakletos. So sometimes you'll hear the Spirit referred to as the paraclete. And a paraclete in this day was somebody who counseled those in trouble with the law, a counselor. And Jesus uses this word again in verse 26 when he says that the advocate or the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So it's through the Holy Spirit that we're able to obey Christ's commands. This goes back to verse 15 where he says, if you love me, obey my commands. He's not just leaving his disciples on their own. He's equipping them with the Holy Spirit. And don't miss the significance of this. I I think this is one of the most overlooked or maybe 
underappreciated or taken for granted aspects of the Christian life. And that's the fact that God himself dwells in us as believers permanently. Now, first of all, just to be clear, just as a reminder, the Holy Spirit, he is fully God and he is a person, not a force, which means we should not refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. He is a he, okay? He, the Holy Spirit, he's a person, he's fully God, and he's always been active in the lives of God's people. We see him at work in the, in the Old Testament. But it's not until after Jesus rises from the dead and the day of Pentecost, which we read about in the book of Acts, and we talked about that in earlier episodes, it's not until Pentecost that the Spirit dwells permanently in believers. He dwells in believers in a permanent sense. But I want you to consider how outrageous it is to have the God of the universe dwelling in you. Think about that. The all-powerful, eternal God who speaks stars and galaxies and planets into existence, who knows the number of hairs on your head, who knows the number of days that you're going to live, who knows all of history, he dwells in you. And if you think about it, in the Old Testament, the high priest got to enter into God's presence once a year during the Day of Atonement. And the high priest had to offer sacrifices in order to do that. But now because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice once for all, now all believers are permanently indwelled by God himself. So don't take that for granted. But my question is, are we relying on him? Are we relying on God, the Holy Spirit, who dwells inside of us? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't control us like puppets. Okay, we're not marionettes or something. We have to surrender to him in our lives. And this is what leads into what Jesus says next in chapter 15, where he says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We are completely dependent on God to bear fruit, to live the the lives that he desires for us. Understand that we can't live out his will for our lives through our own power. We can't make an eternal impact apart from his power. And we can't obey his commands apart from him. We are completely dependent on the power of God's spirit in us. So if we try to do things on our own, Jesus says we're like a branch that's been cut off from the vine. And do you know what happens to those branches? They wither. They don't bear any fruit. They're useless. But if we remain in him, we will bear much fruit. So how do we abide in Christ? How do we surrender to the Spirit's power in our lives? Well, I have a question for you, and this applies to me as well. How is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? Because prayer is how we show our dependence on God. It's a cry for more of God. So if we aren't praying, do you know what we're basically saying with our lives? We're telling God, I've got this. I don't need you. I'm good. If you're not bearing much fruit in your life, if you're not living the abundant life or or not living out God's will for you, I want to encourage you to really take time to evaluate your prayer life. 
Consider how you can be more intentional in making prayer a a priority and a constant in your life. And I want to say this too. I am convinced that one of the greatest enemies to prayer is, is the constant noise in our lives today. We're constantly wired. And to be clear, technology has a lot of great benefits. I use it all the time. We all do. But the downfall is that we are always connected. There's always noise in our lives. And we've gotten used to that. It's just the norm. Which means we're not used to silence and solitude or just being alone with our thoughts. And that makes prayer extremely difficult for us in our modern world today. So I want you to consider how can you be intentional about getting away from technology at times? Maybe one idea is you could go for a prayer walk. Go for a prayer walk. Leave your phone behind and just go for a walk outside and pray as you walk. Sometimes we think that we always just have to have our our eyes closed and our, our head down and our hands folded to pray. That's not true. Nobody said that. That's not scriptural. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But sometimes getting out and just walking, maybe go for a walk in nature, leave your phone behind and just focus on God. Go somewhere where you can not be distracted. But whatever that looks like for you, I encourage you, make prayer a staple. Make prayer the foundation of your life. Because we can do nothing apart from God's power in our lives. And how do we stay rooted in his power? Through prayer. Prayer is everything. Now, I also want to point out something a few verses earlier. It says in chapter 15, verse 2, talking about the Father, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. The Father prunes. This means we're all a work in progress. The Father is is constantly pruning us so that we will bear more fruit. And this means that sometimes he's going to allow us to go through trials and to go through difficult times to help us grow. And it also means that we should consider what are some things in our lives that we need to repent of? What's hindering our relationship with God? Do we have a sin that needs to be addressed and and dealt with? So I I would challenge you here to, to ask God to reveal to you, what do you need to change in your life? What needs to be pruned in your life for you to bear more fruit? And to become more of the man or woman that God has called you to be. And then a little bit later in chapter 15, Jesus really keeps it real here. He says in verse 18, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So Jesus says, don't be surprised when you face opposition when people hate you and disagree with you. Because you should look different from the world. And then he wraps up this entire section, this entire section of instruction, with this statement at the end of chapter 16. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Well, thanks Jesus. You know, that's, that's really comforting. And I, I really have a lot of peace now. But look what he says next. This is one of my absolute favorite verses in all of Scripture. He says, But take heart. I have overcome the world. 
What an incredible statement. I have overcome the world. He started this section with giving his disciples an eternal perspective. And I think that's what he's doing again here. He's ending with it as well. He's saying, yes, you're going to face troubles and trials. And you know what? Most of his disciples ended up giving their lives for the gospel. They were martyred. But in the end, Jesus says it's all worth it. Jesus has already defeated evil and death. He's already overcome the world. And one day we're going to spend all of eternity in his presence. The victory's already been won. We can rest in that, no matter what we face. So let me, let me back up here and just zoom out. Let me try to summarize this section for us. Remember at the end of chapter 13, Jesus says, I'm leaving you, and one of you are going to betray me. Peter, you're going to disown me. And then in chapters 14 through 16, Jesus comforts his disciples, and he prepares them for when he leaves. He says, you know what? The world is going to hate you. You're going to face opposition. But through it all, keep an eternal perspective. And know this. You're not going to be alone. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And if you stay surrendered to him and abide in him, you will bear much fruit. And you will obey my commands. So I know this episode went a few different directions, but I hope you see how all of this fits together. And just to circle back on a few things for our own lives, I want to ask you again, do you have an eternal perspective? Do you have an eternal perspective like Jesus challenges his disciples to have here? Or are you wrapped up in the things of this world? And again, I would challenge you to consider reading Revelation 21 and 22 this week to remind yourself that Jesus has already overcome the world. And I also want to ask you again, how's your prayer life? Are you living a life in total dependence on God and his spirit? Or are you trying to do things on your own? How can you make prayer the foundation of your life, the single most important task every day? And finally, I want to just end on a note of encouragement like Jesus did in this passage. Understand that you're going to face trials and tribulations in your life. You will. But like Jesus said, take heart. If Jesus is for you, who can stand against you? Eternity is coming. So whatever you're struggling with today, find hope. Find hope. Fix your eyes on God and on eternity and know that our present suffering will soon be replaced by never-ending joy. But until that day, let's live to glorify Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth.